Welcome back to another edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast. I am Nathan Baird. I cover Purdue basketball for the Journal and Courier. He is Mike Carmen, covering football for the Journal and Courier. And, and sitting in for me last week, or, or hold, holding down the fort for me last week when I was on sabbatical on the other side of the country. And uh, it's good to be back in uh, uh, nice and warm Indiana, or at least it was for a day or so. And now we're back to just regular old Indiana. That's right. Cloudy, gray, rainy. It's April. Uh, the dandelions are blooming, and and those of us that hate dandelions try to get them out of our yard as quickly as possible. This is my first year that I'm not fighting the dandelions because I don't have a yard right now. I'm living in a condo in Indianapolis, and I don't have to worry about such things as lawn maintenance and, and mowing and, and, and fighting the weeds. And uh, it, it, In a weird way, you kind of miss it, but in other ways, you don't miss it at all. I wish they would come up with a video game similar, whether it's eSports or Game of Thrones, that would defeat dandelions. Like there would be a way to to, to do that. I would I'd be all on board for that. I have I have three acres, uh, and we're not. And I don't. They're they're few and far between, but they bother me. And they bother me when I wake up, and they bother me uh, when I drive in every day. So I'm on the dandelion watch and attack uh, the next several weeks. Yeah, mine would just – I had a very, very small yard on the southeast side of Lafayette um, when I had a house there, and they would just infest. I mean, they were just they were just everywhere. They so, breathe. Uh, yeah. They breathe. So they I, breathe. I, 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 it was one of those things where you – one of those, like, paths to adulthood where you go out, you, like, go to Menards or Lowe's or whatever, and you buy the weed and feed, and you're out there with the little contraption, uh, you know, shooting that stuff all over your yard. At, you know, you feel like you've – You've crossed some threshold into uh, real home ownership, real adulthood when you when you have to go do things like that. You're waging war against nature in your own small, little, kind of petty and significant way. You become your dad at that point. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Well, it's, it's always like, hey, dad, what am I supposed to do about this stuff? Well, here's what I do. Yeah, it's Like with everything, I try to figure out what is the purpose. There's two things in yard maintenance and my that, that I, I still don't understand why they have a purpose. One is dandelions. What is the purpose of a dandelion? And number two, what are the purpose of moles, other than oh. destroy, your, destroy your yard? Well, you know why why are they here, and what's the best way to get rid of them so they never come back? But they keep coming back. And the same with dandelions. I don't understand the point of having them. Why why are they why were they put on this earth? Yeah, I was just home for Easter this past weekend, and my dad uh, is waging this, I think, decades-long now war against moles in in their yard. And um, he he kind of he has a thing where he goes and waits until he can kind of see them actually making their path across the yard, and then he strikes with a shovel. And he's become pretty he's become pretty adept at it, I think. But now, when you're retired, and and that's you know you, you don't have a lot of other things to occupy yourself, that becomes like. A big focus in your life, I think. I've uh, I've drowned them before, or at least Ooh. drowned, or pushed them out of their hole, and then delivered a, a knockout punch with a shovel. Uh, that's a good plan. Yeah, <laughs> they are. So this has been a great podcast. And... <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is our our, our podcast sponsored by uh, Lowe's <laughs> Weed the Feed. Um, that's our new sponsor uh, on Boilers Extra, but. Um, Moving on to to other yard uh, problems, 100-yard problems or 100-yard issues, Uh, Purdue and the NFL draft is this weekend. We're going to get into that a little bit more later. Uh, Obviously, Purdue has a a draft streak on the line, and we're going to get into 
whether that's going to continue and, and why it won't, will or won't and what it means and all that stuff. But first up, uh, Purdue basketball grows its commitment list. Um, it, uh, Jaden Ivey, Mishawaka Marion guard, uh, became the first commitment for the 2020 class. And this was, I think, a little bit of a surprise just because of the timing because they, they locked him up early. But I think from the people I've talked to, Purdue is, is excited about locking him up early because he's one of those guys that maybe was um, came onto the radar a little bit later than others have. And they think that um, maybe over the spring and summer, if, if he hadn't committed now, that things really could have taken off. And and he probably, I think, is felt sort of the reverse, that uh, Purdue was in on a lot of really talented guys for this 2020 class, was putting in some real legwork with other guards, and was building some relationships there. And Purdue has some scholarships to work with for 2020, um, has at least three it expects to use because – uh, they'll have just uh, two open, and then Evan Boudreaux right now is the only scholarship senior. Um, so that'll be three that they could use potentially for the 2020 class. And you never know about it. Right now we don't foresee any other departures from the, the program, but um, at least three to work with. And they, they like where they are with a lot of guys in that class, and that included a lot of guys who are guards. And this doesn't preclude them from taking some other guards, but it does maybe narrow the focus a little bit. Um, and it's just it's interesting to kind of watch a class come together. I thought you saw that last season with the 2020 class, the way that it sort of slowly built, and uh, or with the 2019 class, and kind of the same thing here. And I I wonder he's one of the guys. There were six guys who came in and did early official visits, and this one this is one area where it paid off. I think they made a good first impression. They got him in last fall. And then the the relationship really started to build. And I think it sounds like from talking to him yesterday that really from last fall on, he was pretty locked in on Purdue and didn't really see a reason to prolong it. And that's why he's committing in April as opposed to waiting until the end of the summer, which is what a lot of recruits will do. It's maybe hard to assess right now because you don't know who else is going to fill out that 2020 class or, you know, uh, you know what grad transfer they, they, they jump on. Uh, you know, this year, but based on where the roster's at now, where does he fit in with the guys that he would play with? Well, it's, yeah, that's what's interesting is because they, regardless of what they do with the grad transfer this year, they're still going to need some shooting guards, some backcourt help next year. And I think Ivy's a guy who could potentially be sort of what Eric Hunter is right now as far as if they need him to help in a in a in a ball handling situation or bring the ball up situation, he can probably do that. I don't think he's exclusively off the ball. He's he's six two, one sixty five, so he's a little bit on the small side. I think they see him potentially filling a combo spot though he may eventually long term be more comfortable off the ball, which is what I think Eric Hunter probably will be too in the long run. Um but you know the, the, everybody that they have in the backcourt presumably will still be there a year from now. Um, and they're obviously bringing in a couple guys in Isaiah Thompson and Brandon Newman, although Newman is, is definitely more of an off-the-ball guy, more of a, a wing player. So he he fits in just as far as giving them a depth that they don't really have right now at the very least because this year they, they still are on the thin side. It's why they're trying to land one of these grad transfers. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit more specifically too, um, the, the guys that they've had in and the guys 
who may still be coming. But it's more about kind of needing to replenish the roster as a whole in the backcourt. Just after you lose Carson Edwards, after you lose Ryan Klein, um, that's an immediate problem for this year. But even if you bring in a grad transfer, you're in the same exact position a year from now. You still need more bodies to come into the backcourt. I think they could potentially still look at someone who is a point guard or at least someone who has some point guard background with that 2020 class. And it could be someone as versatile as maybe Ethan Morton, the guy from Pittsburgh that they've looked at who has has played really everything from one to four at, at, at different times. Someone they, they see him as kind of a Dakota Mathias-like guy who could do a lot of things and be really versatile on the court. So it, it, it's more not it, – it, it, it just sort of it fills a greater need. It fills it fills a wider need that this team just needed to go re- replenish itself from a guard standpoint after what it's lost here the last couple of years. You know, between the two that they're losing this year and then losing Matthias and Thompson last year, um, it's just a, a section of the roster that has, has dwindled a little bit over time. And even though they're bringing in some other guys, um, I think they still just at large needed some more guard help. Was he, was he a kid that if he got out on the AU circuit this summer or this spring and summer that more schools would probably jump on him? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, he told me yesterday that his offer list was still basically just Butler, Purdue, and Notre Dame. And, you know, obviously he's, he, being from Mishawaka, his mom uh, played in Notre Dame, is an assistant coach for women's basketball in Notre Dame. Um, he had he had been a, considered a strong in-state player. I don't really know that he had quite registered on the national level yet. You got to remember, it was last, late last summer at the elite camp when Purdue offered him, and that was his first offer. Not just like his first like real offer, but his first offer. Um, you know, he, he's uh, like I said, he's, he's coming onto the radar a little bit late, and to, to be going into your sophomore year and not have uh, offers yet is not unprecedented for guys who end up being you know, impact players in the Big Ten, but it's a, it's a little bit unusual. And I think Purdue's perspective was they, they saw something special in him. They thought maybe they were one of the first to recognize it, and that's why they went hard at building that relationship. They like guys who, or at least I should say, you know, Matt Painter. When I'm saying they, I'm basically saying Matt Painter because he's a guy who calls the shots on this at the end of the day. But, you know, he likes – you know, uh, uh, there's a long record here of him going after – players who were coaches' sons or had, had some sort of relationship with coaching. Um, and he just seems like one of those kids that, that, that really fits what Purdue is about, you know, a kid that um, is, you know, potentially aggressive the way he has to be on the court, but also a humble guy, um, not uh, about himself. And I, I think they see real potential in him. Um, they see him being able to climb. I think they, they thought that about someone like, Again, going back last year to like someone like Brandon Newman, they thought they were getting in on him a little bit earlier, uh, building a strong foundation with him from a recruiting standpoint. And I think that paid off in the long run when he was the guy that they were the team that he ultimately picked. Um, same with Mason Gillis. There was a guy that these guys weren't necessarily really high on um, national recruiting rankings and those sorts of things. But Purdue liked them a lot early on. They saw big things in him. And especially in the case of someone like Gillis, when, when things kind of went sideways on him a little bit, um, but really even before that, before he even went through the things he did last season, last summer, last spring, um, they had really demonstrated a lot of faith in him and um, were really excited about him. Had, had you know, he, he felt some, the, the genuine excitement that Purdue had for him 
and that's why he pulled the trigger. And I think you saw the same thing from Jaden Ivey. You know, it, it made a, a big impact for him. He, he called it a confidence boost when Painter was the first to offer him a scholarship, and then he goes out and averages 25 points and shoots 39% from three and uh, had a really successful high school season. And I think there was definitely a feeling that as this spring and summer went on, and this spring and summer is different than past ones. You know, coaches are a little bit um, – they don't get to see – they don't get to evaluate guys as much, but the, the word was still going to get out. People were still going to see him. Uh, they needed to see him, and then he thought that offer list was going to grow and, and things could get more complicated. So really mutually, I think Purdue wanted to, to wrap him up early because they just liked him so much. And I think Ivy, uh, on the other hand, you know, he, he saw that that was a possibility. He, you know, he said to me, I could go on other official visits. Um, you know, maybe there could have been, you know, I, I could have expanded the, the, the recruiting base that I had. But he was, he had, it was more like when he considered that, he kept coming back to how much he liked Purdue. And he didn't feel like there was a, it, very similar to what Mason Gillis was telling me a year ago. He felt like the, that meant that now was the time to pull this trigger. Yeah, and you, you, you'll you find some kids who want that bigger offer and want to get on that bigger stage and will we'll, we'll wait it out. We'll, we'll take we'll bet on themselves a little bit this summer in hopes of attracting maybe a high-profile offer. And I can only guess that I think his upbringing, being around, you know, his mom being a coach, being in the exact same position that Matt Painter was in, um, I really probably helped you know, solidify the choice that he made that, you know, you don't, you know, if you're happy with what you got now, yeah, there's always more doors out there that can be open. But, you know, you look at the schools that are recruiting you now, the ones that have offered you, and um, you really couldn't go wrong with either one, any of them. But, you know, I, I would have to say that his up his upbringing, being around his mom um, and her being in the business, you know, probably has, has helped him, Stay grounded to some to, to some extent, uh, but I, I would say, and you know, hopefully, you know, at some point, uh, you know, you get a chance to talk to, her, to to his mom or somebody does just mm-hmm. to you know to see kind of what what subtle influences that you know she, she's had uh, or that she did have uh, in this ultimate decision for him. Well, I, I did ask him about that, and he said that he she was a great resource, and and he felt lucky to have someone like her to turn to that wasn't just giving him a parental perspective that she also had a um you know a, a real insight into how these things work and you wonder if that's a thing that maybe sometimes helps Purdue when it's going through this with other coaches sons um just because and especially in this case you know she's been out there giving these recruiting pitches for throughout her career as an assistant coach. And she received those recruiting pitches when she was a, an athlete coming out of high school. So I think she knows, you know, her, for lack of a better term, her BS detector is probably pretty good. She yes. knows when <laughs> she knows when someone's being uh, genuine and when someone is, is putting on an act. And I, I do imagine that that probably helped with Purdue because that's been the MO for Purdue for a long time. For better or for worse, you're going to get, a really honest pitch from them and sometimes um it, it they're not telling players what they want to hear and that that it, there's people who complain about that i think in this fan base that the purdue is uh, is as honest as it is and and maybe that sometimes rubs certain kinds of players the wrong way but i think the results show that that approach works in the long run 
and gets you the kind of players who, who want to be at Purdue in the long run. And I do, I, I think you could, I could, I saw it last year at the elite camp. I saw, you know, Matt Painter went over and, you know, spent a not insignificant amount of face time with Neil Ivey, um, you know, talking to her and, and start, you know, getting that relationship started as well. I think that we, we sometimes think of these things as, um, you know, fans look at these as, you know, why aren't you, you know, I, I don't really know how they look at recruiting. They they look at it only in terms of, of wins and losses. It's it's right. a really unsophisticated way to to look at 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 this situation when really it's about you know building a relationship and um and and that works both ways because sometimes throughout this process, um, you know I do this every year. It gets to this time of year. I maybe go back you know a, a month or so. I, I check in with people and say. Uh, hey, you know, is this, are these still, you know, I kind of go name by name and say, what's going on with this guy? And you'll, you'll usually hear that, oh, well, that's not really going to happen now. That's somebody that we, uh, Purdue decided wasn't really the right fit here um, for whatever reason. And, and um, it, it's a process. That's why they call it the recruiting process. And this time the, the process just wrapped up, I think, a little bit faster than a lot of people were expecting. And I don't think there was no surprise really that he ended up at Purdue. But I think it's it's potentially a big deal for them that they got him this early. It gets you a, a foundation for this class, an early foundation for this class that you can then now, um, you know, it, and you can pivot off of this and more maybe gives you some clarity as to what else you need, where else your focus is going to be for 2020. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a good get. It sounds like a guy that, as he gets into the Purdue, Purdue's program, is going to be one of those guys that say that, that other coaches will say or other fan bases will say is, hey, how's come our how's come our team didn't recruit him or how's come our team didn't offer him or, you know, even Michigan, Michigan State, which are not that far from Mishawaka, uh, right. you know, they may ask that question as he gets a little bit deeper into his Purdue career, and you know, those are Purdue fans ask those questions of, of guys that. That, that pop up against them or burn them in a game or go for, you know, a, a big number uh, in a game. And it's, you know, it's just part of what, what happens. And, but I think Painter's track record, his proven track record of, you know, getting on certain guys early, um, it, it just continues to pay off for him that, you know, he's doing, you know, he's doing the right thing. You don't bat a hundred percent in this game when it comes to recruiting, but I, I believe he's probably won more than he's lost when he's identified an early guy like Jaden Ivey. And, um, and I, I would say his percentage is pretty, pretty decent when it comes to landing those kind of kids. So looking, I guess, more broadly at this 2020 class and, and, and what this means now, um, you know, Purdue had went into the spring knowing that it, it needed probably some long-term help like I said, with, with some kind of point guard help, um, it, it needed some size, and it, it, and then beyond that, it, it kind of just needed you know either a forward or a wing or or something like that. And I think the Ivy situation, one of the reasons why it's big is it just gives them some options. They can sort of maybe play with this class in, in a different way than if they had landed a straight point guard first. Um, I really think someone that they've a couple guys that they've you know, really targeted it early on and, and had good relationships with um, Trey Galloway from Culver Academy, another in-state guy. This is five straight high school recruits who've come from Indiana, by the way, going back to when Eric Hunter was the third person to sign 
for this uh, for the 2018 class, and all three 2019 guys are Indiana guys. The first guy for 2020 is an Indiana guy. So um, is that a record? Uh, I don't know. I haven't gone back through the annals and, and checked, but it, it's a little bit unique just because um, anytime you get into years where you've got three or four recruits, usually um, one of them at least comes from somewhere else. You know, they're coming from. I mean, the, the best thing, you know, just in that 2018 class, Eric Hunter's from Indiana, but um, you know, Fairbairn Williams was from Michigan. Uh, Manuel right. Delona was from Florida by way of Ghana. So. Um, it, it's it's a little bit uncommon to be getting this many just from Indiana, but this is also a state. You know, Indiana is not like any other state. You've also obviously got a really strong recruiting base here, year in and year out. So, um, those two guys, as far as other guards and Kerwin Walton from Minnesota, those are guys who have all been offered. Who Purdue has really built strong early relationships with. Um, seems to be in a really good position. Walton and Morton have both officially visited. I don't know that Galloway will officially visit just because he's been on campus so many times. Uh, I don't know how necessary that is, but we'll see going forward. He has done – he did take an official to Iowa as one of his early officials uh, last year in, in the fall of his junior season, but um, I don't know what more will come of that. It's The more interesting group is this – to me, is this power forward center group that, that Purdue can pick from. Um, Guys who have already officially visited, Ben Carlson, power forward from Minnesota. Hunter Dickinson, who's a, just a major national recruit out of um, Maryland, a 7-2 center. Those guys have both officially visited already. Uh, Purdue, I think, is in strong situation with them. But you've also got some tiers here. You've got guys like them who are really high on the national rankings. Um, Zach Loveday, another 7-footer, uh, was their first offer for the 2020 class. So guys that they've been in on you know, really early and are, are, are really trying hard, uh, have, have tried hard to build relations with. And then some guys closer to home, some like Akiron Powell, who's a little bit of an undersized center out of Evansville, um, who they've also more recently maybe started to take longer looks at. I, I, it's, I, I feel like they've, they've covered their bases pretty well with this class. Because I don't know that there's a wrong answer anywhere there. I don't think they're taking – and by any means, anybody they can take is 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 a leftover situation. Um, they, even with the the turnover that they've had with this coaching staff, um, you know, losing Greg Gary at the end of this season, and, and it, that made it almost even more important that they had already built a really strong relationship with a lot of really good players really early on in uh, in getting these guys on campus for official visits, um, because it does restrict a little bit what they can do, not restrict, but uh, they're having to be a little bit creative, I think, with how they go about recruiting right now with, uh, with just one less assistant in the fold. Yeah, and, I think and that's where your head coach, to me, comes into play because you expect turnover on the assistant side. But if you have that one constant of Matt Painter who's establishing those relationships, then you can, in my opinion, you can withstand uh, Greg Gary leaving, although he's a valuable, you know, been a valuable member of your staff. and But assistants are working toward being a head coach. So there, there's going to be turnover there. But to have Matt Painter at the forefront establishing these relationships, you know, really, I think, really bodes well. And, you know, I'm sure it's like that most every place. But, you know, I'm not I'm not sure that, you know, I, I, I can't say for sure. But just uh, as an as outsider viewing it here, it seems like that that is working uh, well for Purdue right now. So that, that sets them up potentially for, for 2020. Um, we did mention in kind of a passing the grad transfer situation. 
they had a guy named Javen Cumberland, who's a, a grad transfer prospect from Oakland University from the Horizon League on campus earlier this week. Best of my knowledge, at least nothing's been nothing's come out publicly. Uh, he left without making a commitment. They had another guy uh, coming in right after him, um, Jihad Proctor from High Point uh, in the, um, the Big South. So those are the two that we know of. They've also been in on Christian Keeling. Um, I have not confirmed yet. As of yesterday, I was told he was expected to be in for a visit the first week of March if neither of these other two guys commit. That is a little bit complicated. I saw a tweet from, I think, Jeff Goodman today that it's down to Clemson and uh, maybe North Carolina for him. So maybe Purdue's not that running anymore. I, I'm not sure. There's some moving pieces here. But the reality is, if one of these first two guys commits, Keeling's not coming anyway. They're not even going to do that visit. It's really, it's whichever one of these guys wants the spot is going to take it, uh, or is going to get it. And there, there are some different levels of play here, but they're very, they're three very similar players. They're guys who all averaged in the high teens last year. They're all guys who, at some point in their career, have demonstrated some ability to hit threes. And that's really what Purdue, they need a guy who can come in after Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein who took 66% of Purdue's three-point attempts last year. Those two guys are leaving the program. They need someone immediately who can come in and play real minutes. Um, and may, I don't know if it's someone who's going to come in and start. Uh, I think there's uh, things are kind of wide open from that perspective at a couple of positions. But they need someone who they can trust to come in and defend and, 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 and hit those open threes that, that this offense tries to create. And these are all, I think, pretty solid candidates for a job like that, to come in and be one-year guys provide some maturity, um, and just have a little bit of savvy about college basketball to them. Well, that's the way the world works now, grad transfers. Yeah. Uh, and Matt Painter's, been, Matt Painter's been vocal about being uneasy with this rule um, for what I think are legitimate reasons because he, he he's a call-him-like-I-see-him kind of guy, and there's nobody out there that believes that this is an academic rule anymore, which is what it was intended to be. Now it's just free agency so yes. uh so be that as it may he, it's in football you know, too same, yeah same exactly thing. exactly and it be that as it may um you can't just say out of principle i'm not going to take grad transfers because um if, if that were the stance he was taking um purdue would not have made an ncaa tournament 2013 without or 2014 i should say without uh what, what year was it 2015 technically without uh john Ockius. um you know, it wouldn't have had Spike Albrecht. It wouldn't have had um, a handful of other guys now that, that were valuable guys, even, you know, someone like Johnny Hill. Evan Boudreaux played well early last season uh, before, you know, Trevin Williams' emergence uh, complicated his roster spot. But, you know, Purdue has, has, I think, been pretty diligent at trying to bring guys in who are the right personality fit, the right kind of background, um, the right kind of vibe. And um, I, that's what these official visits, I think, are about a little bit, too. Do these guys fit? Do these guys make sense? They do as much homework as they can for that um, beforehand. But this is also a situation where you don't get to go watch these guys play basketball. Um, you may have seen them when, in the recruiting process four years earlier, five years earlier, whatever it was. Um, I'm sure they did in the case of Cumberland. Um, I, I'm not sure about these other guys. But the the reality is you haven't seen him play in person for three or four years at least, and you try to go by video, but that's that can there's only it's not a perfect way to, to try to scout somebody. So it's a little bit of a I wouldn't want to, I don't want to say crapshoot, 
but it can also be hard. I think as we saw last year with Boudreaux, it can be hard sometimes to fully gauge what impact these guys are going to have because I think people looked at Boudreaux and what he did at Dartmouth, and they were like, well, that's a guy who can come in and really help Purdue, potentially even at the four. And uh, as it turned out, he was really limited to playing center. Um, he still has some strides to make, I think, there from a, a defensive standpoint. Um, and as well as he played early on, I think you saw when Trevon Williams emerged and could be a real actual low post center, that was something Purdue absolutely needed. And then you also had Matt Harms to be kind of the unconventional look at it, and, and pretty soon Boudreaux had less of a role. So, um, And we saw that with some other guys who come in too. I think, you know, um, Spike Albert had some – some health issues and, and things like that. So it, I, I never, I, I always hesitate. And I think I even wrote that a lot of these guys have, have taken more of a support role, but this particular year, I think whichever one of these guys commits. And again, we're, we're just on a, a watch right now. It could happen by the end of this uh, podcast um, has a potential to, to maybe play one of the bigger roles since John Ockeus, just because Purdue has a real need at, for someone who can come in and provide some scoring from the perimeter. I always find it amazing in these grad transfer situations that you're looking at kids that you would not have looked at four years ago. And granted, Very often, yeah. <laughs> granted, they've grown up, they've matured, they've played three or four years of, of college basketball regardless of the level, but you know, you're picking guys, you know, as you mentioned, one of the kids from High Point. Well, you probably you probably didn't recruit that kid. You know, none of these schools recruited that kid. Uh, you know, several years ago. So it, it's just kind of, you know. But guys, guys get better in college. Guys do Im- improve and, and perform better, and you know, fit into a role or um, you know, find out just something about themselves that makes them, you know, more valuable. Um, you know, uh, later on, and that you know, those are those are good stories. Those those are things that that kind of should happen and. You know, I hope they don't change. I understand it's free agency, and I understand that that's what it is. But I, I think if you graduate before your time is up or before your eligibilities are up or you get your degree whenever you get your degree, I, I think you should have that option to, to move on if you, if you want to. Well, let's transition over to the other not, – not free agency, although I think Purdue <laughs> – Football may be looking at some free agent options at the end of this weekend, maybe exclusively free agent options. But uh, the NFL draft starts actually tonight. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon, um, continues through uh, Saturday. Uh, and I would definitely don't expect any Purdue players drafted tonight. But this draft streak that is, is it 20, how many seasons is it? 21? 20, it's 21. 21 seasons in a row that Purdue has had an NFL draft pick. What is the likelihood that that reaches 22? Well, um, I would say it's uh, it's probably less than 50 percent because if you look back the last four years, um, you know, Juwan Bentley made sense. Um, D'Angelo Yancey, you know, probably made a little bit of sense, um, but there's some other guys um, that you know that probably made more sense than not getting drafted and it's usually come in the fifth round type of type of situation. Um, you know, this year you're looking at, you know, David Blau, he's a quarterback. So anytime you pick a quarterback, it does make sense because they're just so, you know, the numbers are people want quarterbacks. That's just the bottom line. Uh, you know, Jacob Thieneman could, 
could get a nibble uh, in, in one of those late rounds. Uh, but, you know, he's also a guy that you could get in free agency uh, without without any problem. So, uh, yes, this, this streak, and it, it, it's, it's a pride factor in the program, and it should be, you know, it should be something they, they, they pound their chest over, even though programs like USC and, and some of the behemoths of, of college football have streaks in the 70s. Um, and, and what Purdue's done, you know, pales in comparison. But when you look at Purdue's record during these 21 years, compared to the other school's record during this, this 21 years, I mean, the fact that Purdue has had a player taken, um, you know, it, it does mean something. It, it's a, it's something they, they, they do tout and they do talk about. And, um, you know, but even if, even if no one gets picked this year, you know, I, I think as long as Jeff Brown's going to be in place, then, you know, I think you're looking, you're looking at a new streak starting uh, the next year. Because you're going to get, you know, guys like Marcus Bailey and Bryson Hopkins, and, you know, maybe Grant Hermans, and then beyond that, you know, you're looking at Rondo Moore, and then, you know, you go from there with some of the freshmen they brought in this year that would be labeled as those, those kind of guys. And recruiting's going to stay, I, I, you know, recruiting's going to stay at that level as long as Brom and his staff are here. So yeah, the streak might end this year, but um, you know, I think a new one's going to start, you know, next year. And that's, you know, you know, Nebraska had its string broken a few years ago where they had done it 50-some years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Purdue's not at that level yet. And, and, you know, these streaks do get broken. But, you know, in the end, they're nice to have. But they don't, they don't really, you know, they only determine your program's success in a, in a small way. I mean, if you're getting guys drafted, it means you have some talent in your program. But to me, are you getting multiple guys drafted? And that's that's where you start inching up and competing for, in this case, a Big Ten West title and a Big Ten championship, and then going on to win bowl games. Back when, back when Joe Tiller was here, Purdue was getting multiple guys drafted, and that to me that's that's a sign of, uh, of where you know more of a sign of where your where your program is at and whether they can compete for championships or not. Yeah. So in preparation for Purdue fans who may mourn the end of this streak this week, I wanted to to point out a couple things. Um, Michigan and USC have both had a player chosen in every draft since 1939. Uh, well, before I was born. Right. <laughs> uh, Michigan State, I think theirs is 78 years. Yeah. Uh, Nebraska, I think, was 56 when it ended. Um, Iowa, 41 years. Wisconsin, 40 years. So 21 compared to those, it's not as if you have an all-time streak that's about to, to end. Right. But uh, I think it was, number one, it was something that the program could use to sell itself and something the, the fan base could take to take some pride in every spring, even when the program wasn't winning. You know, you'd have a, you could have a three and, and nine year or a, a five and seven year, but somebody was getting drafted and it kind of pushed Purdue back into a, a headline every spring. You know, you getting a guy drafted, even if it was, you know, lower in the process. Um, and and I, I think now it's almost fitting that the streak might end because it, it it's it sort of signifies a transition that like kind of what you're saying that needs to be happening here right now. Um, getting a guy drafted in the sixth or seventh round this year 
is pales in importance to getting to a getting the two bowl games in a row. Um, pales in comparison to being in contention fairly late in the season for a division championship. Um, and it pales in comparison to what could be ahead of this program, which is what you're talking about, which is getting multiple guys drafted, getting, you know, second day guys or first day guys, getting people like Rondell Moore on the, the Heisman radar. All of those things are, any one of those things is more important than this streak still being alive. And I think we're at a, this is, we're at kind of just that transitional moment for Purdue football, almost as if this has to be sacrificed in order to, to take, to, to maybe give people perspective on what is actually an accomplishment. Because, you know, the draft streak is, is certainly nice. I think it's almost something more from a marketing standpoint for the program. When they go out on the road, they can say to kids, we'll get you to the NBA, NFL. We've had a, a, a draft pick each of the last 21 years. And it's a, you know, this, this streak that's been going on longer than most of the rest of the Big Ten. Uh, they, they can certainly say those things. But then there's other cases like, you know, I remember when Anthony Brown got picked, and I don't know that he was an NFL radar kind of guy, and then he went to one of the the combines, the workout something, and ran a really good number, and then all of a sudden now he's he's on radar. So it, it's also not always necessarily a reflection of the production that those guys had at Purdue. It's more sometimes the production of their just what they – what they offer as an athlete that gets them on the radar sometimes after the end of their careers uh, at Purdue. Yeah, I mean, guys develop later and, you know, get better later. It's similar to, you know, grad transfers and, you know, you know basketball like we were talking about where guys you would not have recruited four years ago now are your top targets where, you know, the guys developed. And, you know, there's a lot of cases like that. To me, the the, the streak is, I don't want to use the word impressive, but it's important in a in a way because when you when you think of Purdue football, especially before Jeff Brom, and that that probably eight to ten year gap uh, after Joe Tiller, that you just didn't see any success. And in order to have some success, you got to have players. But here was Purdue still producing some NFL draft picks despite winning nine games in four years and despite getting blown out numerous times uh, on the field. And you just didn't equate Purdue football with NFL draft picks. Uh, it just It's just kind of one of those weird, to me, just kind of one of those weird things that didn't seem to line up correctly that you can't have any success on the football field, but here you've got guys in the NFL. It just never seemed to... <laughs> to match up to me. But if you do get a David Blau drafted or somebody drafted this year, you know, this streak has a, has a, should last, you know, for, for many, many years because you, the, the pieces of this program are in place. Now the foundation is nearly set where uh, you're going to, you're going to be attracting top level talent guys that can play in the NFL guys that have a dream to play in the NFL and Purdue's going to show them a path that they've taken other kids to the NFL, and they're going to be pushing that. No, no different than what basketball teams do with going to the NBA and, um, and other sports, baseball, going to, to Major League Baseball, even though there's greater numbers in that. Uh, but, um, if, you know, if somehow they can get somebody drafted today, this, this streak's going to stay intact for a long time. Or not today, but sometime this weekend. Is there anybody – 
that look kind of like Anthony Brown, who ended up being a six-round pick. Is there anybody that you feel has gained some momentum here in the in the um, the camps process or the scouting process since the end of the season that maybe has pushed themselves up on the radar um, more than where they would have been at the end of the season? I mean, I'll go back to Seneman just because he's he's kind of that he's kind of that guy that everyone keeps coming back to that, you know, he can do a lot of different things for you. He's not locked in to, to be this one particular safety. He's a guy that uh, can play multiple positions uh, in the secondary if need be. And, um, and you, you look at what, where he came from to where he, he ended up being one of the leaders or the leader on that defense for, for most of the season when he was out there on the field and you saw the impact when he was not on the field for the, for the time that he missed, you know, Purdue's defense struggled last year with him on the field at times, but when you took him off the field, you know, you saw what happened against Wisconsin. Uh, you saw what happened against Minnesota. Uh, so uh, he, he's a valuable guy, but um, you know, when you get down, I mean, I think his measurables are good, uh, have been good. I, don't, I know they're probably not, any different than what they were maybe a year ago, but he's just, he's kind of one of those solid guys. And then when you look at characters as well, you know, that's such a big deal in professional sports today that they don't want any loose cannons. They don't want any guys that they, they, they feel they can't trust. I mean, he would rank extremely high uh, on a draft board when it comes, when it comes to that, but you also have to bring the other elements to, to the, to the team uh, as well. But he, he's a guy I think that, you know, might sneak in there in that you know in that last round at some point. You know, he could. It wouldn't fit him, but he might be Mister Irrelevant when you went when you get right down to it. He might be that that last guy picked uh, in the in the uh, in the NFL draft. But um, uh, you know, David Blau, you know, he's a quarterback, so he's going to get a lot of attention, and he's a guy that you know obviously can get picked uh, there. You know, toward toward the end of end of the draft. You know, if I'm a fan, I'm probably torn when it comes to that seventh round if I'm sitting there watching. And God help you if you're sitting there watching the seventh round of the NBA or the NFL draft on Sunday. But if, if you are sitting there watching him scroll through, and it's always funny to watch a draft because usually by about midway through the fifth round, they're talking about that even the people covering it aren't paying attention. But if you're watching that, it, it's one thing, regardless of the streak that's going on, I think there's you want those guys there's there's there is a sense of pride for a guy to be able to say I was an NFL draft pick and oh, yeah. and it, it, it and probably more so than there is for your program to say we had a guy picked in the seventh round mm-hmm. um, so for someone like Thieneman it would be a big deal to to be even a seventh round pick at the same time it's not necessarily better for the guys who are still on the board to be taken in the seventh round than to have all of the options in front of them as far as free agency. Uh, they can maybe pick a better situation that way. Um, I remember when, when Danny Anthrop was going through the draft process, you know, he had a agreement with the Colts in minutes after the draft because that had already, they had already had those conversations. There was already something kind of in play. Um, and that was where I think he wanted to go uh, for any number of reasons. So uh, we've seen that happen with other guys too. I mean, those agreements happen pretty quickly after the draft ends. And a lot of them I think are, are sort of set up before the draft even ends. So, um, and I saw you, you know, in what you wrote about, you know, Blau having, you know, already 
half the NFL on his list of places he thinks would be um, potentially good landing spots has already kind of done his own homework and, and, and a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. So I think some of these guys are maybe going to find a place to play and, and maybe even a place where they could stick for a couple of years in a, a practice squad situation or, or work their way up. Um, you know, we've seen guys do that before and, and, and be able to stick around for at least a couple of years. Um, but is there the, – for his situation in particular, do the intangibles matter at all when it comes to a situation like this, or do you have to kind of have that NFL quarterback talent before they even think about the intangibles? Oh, you're talking about David Blau? For Blau uh, particularly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the – I mean, I think David Blau would wow you in a meeting – with his knowledge, uh, and he would take the mental side of the of the sport and break it down. He, you know, the guy the guy's going to be a coach one day, uh, and he's ready made to be one. So all the X's and O's and all knowing the playbook and knowing who's supposed to be where, he he'll master that. But as we all know, he doesn't have that NFL kind of arm. Um, he's a good guy to have in your organization. He's a good guy. Uh, to, to put in there, you know, in a you know last minute situation or wh- whatever, but um, you, you do have to bring a certain talent level uh, to this. I mean, these they just don't hand spots out in the NFL. There's a reason right. why you make a roster is because you're expected to help them win. But as, as we all know, quarterbacks are it's it's just a completely different position. They're just not, you know, in my opinion and a lot of other people's opinion, just not a lot of guys. You know, each each team uh, usually takes four um, quarterbacks to, to training camp. Well, that's, what, 120 or quarterbacks? How many of those guys actually can play in the NFL? I mean, the fact that um, you see it every Sunday where you you've, teams are always are struggling for quarterbacks. Who are going to be some of the top picks in the NFL in the draft in the first round? Quarterbacks, because <laughs> everybody's searching for one because they don't have one. Okay. Uh, so, and I think that gives David Blau an opportunity to, you know, maybe get drafted, but definitely to to land on a team. And then, you know, once you once you get there, you have to prove it with your talent. You have to prove it with your skill. Um, and you can have all the knowledge and have all the mental reps, and you can know the playbook inside and out. But you got to go out and execute those plays. And you know, David does have some shortcomings. Uh, just from a you know an arm strength standpoint uh, and a size standpoint, but as we've seen, you don't have to be six foot five to play quarterback in the NFL. There's a guy in New Orleans that has done pretty well uh, over his career, not being the prototypical size. Uh, so you know David will make it work the best that he can uh, once he gets into a camp, um, and he will get into a camp either via the draft or. Uh, via free agency, um, and then you know it's up to him to take it from there. And you know all these guys just want a shot, and most of them will get shots because you know the rosters go to ninety in the off season. Uh, so a lot of these guys from Purdue are going to get picked up. They're going to have a chance uh, to to prove their worth, and then you know it's just up to them. And you you've got to go out there and and do it do it every single day. And there's just there's success stories across the board of guys that. Uh, were not drafted, then you know, be, you know, signed somewhere free agency, and then made their made their way on the practice squad, then made their way on the the uh, the, the the official roster for game day, and or made the made the cut for the season. So, 
there's a lot of them out there. Uh, you know, Purdue's probably got a couple of those guys that could potentially work their way up. But, you know, you got to get in the right situation with the right people that believe in you, um, and, 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 and you just take it from there. You heard it here first. David Blau is the next Drew Brees. Mike Carmen just said it. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, hey, we're both uh, – we both uh, came up following the Bears, and we remember uh, such uh, starting quarterbacks as Craig Krenzel, Jonathan Quinn, uh, just the host of, of – Oh, of I would take David names. Blau over, over those two any day of the week. <laughs> How, let's see. Let's see. I wonder what the Moses Moreno. Like, what's what's the standard? What's the what's the name that you can't you wouldn't take? You keep throwing them out there, and I'll probably keep taking David Blau. Peter Tom Willis. Oh, yeah, probably David Blau. Henry Burris. David Blau. Man, that's that's so. There you go. I mean, and all those guys were not just in the NFL and not just on NFL rosters somewhere. They started NFL games. Uh, for what was allegedly an NFL team at the time. So, um. <laughs> well, the other thing too, the, the key is just get get into a game of some sort or get in practice. Just get some tape out there. Yeah. Of what you do, and then it gets passed around, uh, and then getting some preseason games. Or yeah, you got to make it that far. But just getting 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 yourself on tape in practice in whatever uh, you know OTAs they have coming up. You know, all those, all that film gets passed around, and um, one team may not like it, but there's several others that might, and that's just, you know, it's, a, it's just that's just the way the situation works. And you know, I know all these guys will push it to as far as they can. Um, you know, the, the chances of all of them having success are are not great, but um, you know, I just it, it, with David in particular, it's just the position that he plays. There's such a need for quarterbacks that. You know he's going to have a chance. I think to, to bounce around a little bit. Um, you know, to me, I'd be surprised if you know if if he gets drafted, that's probably one thing. But if he doesn't get drafted, then he'll probably bounce around a little bit from a from a free agency standpoint, from from team to team over the next couple of years. Well, Jeff Brom can give him some advice on that because he kind of followed the same path in his NFL career. So he did. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens this weekend with uh, Purdue in the NFL draft. We'll see what happens with Purdue basketball as it looks at grad transfers and um, has guys out on the road. I think it's Atlanta, Dallas, and I can't remember where the third. Where is that third place? Uh, Atlanta, Dallas, and why am I why am I blank? Oh, Kansas City, I think is the third one. Um, where they've got guys this weekend uh, scouting for this is the one eval weekend in April. They used to have two, and, and the rules have changed. So this is their one chance to get out and scout guys. And they're probably actually looking past 2020 at, at even younger guys as they go out this weekend. So um, kind of a, a wide blanket gets cast when you've only got one shot at it um, for these these big weekends. So um, come to jconline.com all week to keep up to date on all of that intel. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at inbearedjc. Follow him on Twitter at Carmen underscore JC and uh, download us, rate us, review us, tell your friends, um, get the word out so we can keep bringing this podcast to you on a weekly basis. Uh, Until next week, uh, thanks for joining us on Boilers Extra. We'll talk to you then.